Today on Off Tackle Empire, it's quite fitting that the Big Ten's two yellowest teams compete for the conference title as the calendar turns to sallow season. But look at it this way. With the way light reflects off of basketball courts, no one will notice that you look jaundiced due to not being outside in the sun for almost a month now. This week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the only Big Ten podcast that's here to try to give you as objective a view as possible of a game between two teams that, because they're not ours, we hate. See, look, look, we're like we're like ten seconds into this thing, and we're already getting some strong objections. Moon's throwing a lot of shade at the idea of us spending an extended period of time previewing Michigan, Iowa. I can't say I disagree. I just started the big old spreadsheet for Off-Tackle Empire Season Awards for the blog. I managed this two years ago, and we recall I had the big tennis game of the year. The runaway number one was Michigan 10, Iowa 3. Yeah, well, I mean, this year, if anybody votes for anything other than nine overtimes, they're wrong. And nine overtimes that, hitting the under. And I, I say that even having attended a fantastic snow game not even a week ago. Too many points. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, a lot of them were mistakes by defenses, so I guess you could. But, yeah, that's not very big of us at all. I feel so, like a, a real additional criteria really needs to be that that passing attempts thing where... You just can't have the team with more passing attempts win. I think I think games that hit the over should be ineligible. Also, unless unless they like double the over, if it's one of those kinds of things. But even that, like that's not Big Ten. So it's formerly Big Twelve, now ACC. Now, what is what is also not Big Ten is participating in the coaching carousel because to date, no head coaches in the Big Ten have been fired. One defensive coordinator left. A couple other assistants have been fired. But the Big Ten has yet to participate in the coaching carousel because, as we all know, carnivals and related games are for children, and that's too juvenile for us here in the big, sturdy, mature conference of the Midwest. Also, we should have gotten all that out of the way in August when, when everybody's got their, their Labor Day stuff. And, you know, you take your last fling, maybe fire your coach a week before the season starts. <laughs> It wouldn't be or or two weeks into the season. That's a, something that one of our kindred spirit conferences True. participates in. Although, no, hey, look, yeah. it worked out, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I mean, I, I think you were talking about USC, but yeah, uh, Rutgers also did this like three, four weeks into the season a couple of years ago. I was definitely referring to SC. And yeah. That's that's where we'll start with. We're here Wednesday night, kind of postponed the preview episode to see if we could get just a few more revolutions out of the carousel and get as much information as we could. Some of the jobs are unfilled, but a couple of the major dominoes have fallen. And had we recorded this Sunday night, we we would have missed. Oh my God! It's hard to say if this is the biggest surprise. Probably is the biggest surprise of the coaching carousel. Yeah. And Brian Kelly leaving for LSU. That was. That was not something that was out in the open in the in public very much at all. Everyone assumed well, liar. So one thing at a, at a time. I mean, Riley to USC, I think, is potentially earth shattering because 
a big part of his success, both now and the recruits he had coming into Oklahoma, are from Southern California. That's a prime recruiting grounds for him. And as soon as he left, like a boatload of five stars committed to their 22 and 23 classes. Like, I'm not going to Oklahoma anymore. You know, if I can and, play for you here. And I support people, you know, making their own way and, 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 and getting the bag. But, man, the more I've dug into this, the more I realize, like, Actually, it shouldn't have been surprising because somebody should have picked up on the fact that Lincoln Riley apparently really hates the University of Oklahoma and Bob Stoops and everybody involved there because there's there's a lot of evidence that this was extremely premeditated because the, 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 the shift to Southern California wasn't always all Southern California. The, the last, not the last two, but the current two recruiting cycles were like extremely SoCal-centric even by the standards of, I know that that's a huge talent pool, but but pretty much every prominent recruit that they got for 22 and 23 were from Southern California. And there was also just a lot of insinuation that Lincoln Riley spent a lot more time than usual recruiting this year to such an extent that he was not at all of the in-week game practices during the season. Now, one of the other interesting things that hap- that's happened is, of course, he's been offering his you know coaches uh contracts but there currently as as of today this is wednesday december 1st there was a oh what was what's the i don't remember the dude's name but the db coach is out recruiting is out reportedly according to a player recruiting for usc even though he's currently still the oklahoma defensive backs coach that's a little skeezy um it is apparently apparently Lincoln Riley, something happened there that made him want to salt the earth where Oklahoma University football once stood. He's all but burning the stadium down on the way out. But this has inspired Bob Stoops to action, where he's not only accepted the uh, interim coach tag, but went out on the road recruiting. Um, I'm going to pose an just, just an alternate theorem here, and I'm going to do this in consultation with several of the more enlightened individuals on the Oklahoma message boards. And what I'm going to say is that actually uh, confirmed Lincoln Riley is a liberal spelled with a U and he has decided to leave the, you know, salt of the earth folk, as you said, in Oklahoma to go to Southern California and do a critical race theory. <laughs> yeah. That's what seems you know, more likely. I, I just... Not that he doesn't want to spend winter in fucking Norman and would rather go to Southern California where he can take take a 10-minute walk and see 10 five-star kids play. No, that has nothing to do with why he would leave Oklahoma for SC. I mean, yeah. Oh, and also the fact that the other thing I've been hearing is that he was not at all thrilled with the school moving to the SEC. It sounds like maybe they didn't consult him about that. Yeah, yeah, there's, that that could, I mean, there's an awful lot of of smoke about several different fires that went on there. And look, I I don't make a huge effort to hide that, like, I kind of like Oklahoma for like family ties reasons but but until doing some reading earlier today I really was pretty much on the like oh shit well that sucks they're gonna have to like get somebody up but but I was kind of like wow it seemed like he was planning to do this for like the entire season um to such an extent that I mean because he was also playing a lot of underclassmen over experienced guys underclassmen that were from California (laughs) <laughs> well, right. Presumably, you're going to see a number of those players after whatever their postseason fate is follow him into the transfer portal and make their way. I mean, and it's just watching this team a whole bunch, knowing that they do have a pretty decided talent advantage over most of the Big Twelve, especially against like Kansas. You thought like, 
Okay, what exactly is going on in game prep here? Like, what? This doesn't seem to... There seems to be a distinct lack of focus here. Something's wrong with this team. Yeah, I'm saying I, that all um, season, and I'm not, you know, this, this not saying is... that they would otherwise have, have romped to the college football playoff, but... Moon, what the hell? Moon, what the hell? <laughs> Moon's throwing the flag on the play again. She's signaling in. She wants to take a timeout and challenge this move. But, boy, as far as... Hey, Moon. Oh, come here. She yeah. found the squeakiest toy. That's like oh, a, that's not an squeaky as the actual football. That's that's she's just that's that's grinding the film on R 2s game day activities. That's an R two move right there. Absolutely, but, but yeah, I, as, I, far, I, as, I, as far as, as exits say. from a school, mm. this seems to be one of the biggest middle finger exits from a school I've oh, ever. Oh, is that seen. so? How about when the next day he was one up by Brian Kelly? Yeah, uh, that's I mean. <laughs> I just I, I, I like to think that if I were in this position I have no idea how I would handle this kind of power. Apparently the way I'd handle it is according to a lot of research like a traumatic brain injury but I'd like to think that I would have enough respect for my players to demand that okay look we just really need to make sure that like I want to be the one to tell my team I want to coach out the season and if this hits the presses before I get the chance to do that, to leave on my terms, then I'm not taking the job. Right? That doesn't seem like an unreasonable demand, especially if you're interested in hiring a character guy as your coach. But Brian Kelly is not who you hire if you're interested in a character guy. There's this anecdote that recently came out about yeah. Robert Sala Robert and, Sala and LaFleur, Matt LaFleur. Yeah. Who are, are they both current NFL They're head coaches? They're both current NFL head coaches. Yeah, being invited to a party when he was the, the Central Michigan head coach. They were graduate assistants they at were the graduate time. Assistants. Lowest rung on the totem pole, to be three sure. Three of them sharing an apartment, right? And uh, you know, he was invited. they were invited to a party with the expectation that they would be attending the party. They were instead made to shovel snow and valet park all the cars all night. And, and then they went, and then they went back home and stood around the table they shared, apparently not having chairs. Um, for yeah, so talked about how they weren't going to treat people like this in their careers. Yeah, you know, good thing that that kind of behavior came back to Brian Kelly, and he got what was coming to him, which was a ninety-five million dollar contract, and you know, to but then. So, of course, this news leaks out. He was on a home visit with a recruit when the news started leaking out, as were many of his assistants. Yes. Um, who did not know that he was taking the LSU job. Nope. So, so several assistants, you know, had, a, you know, spent all evening with the recruit. And then the second they walk out the door, they check their phones and see that Brian Kelly is now the LSU head coach. <laughs> and by the way... This is a team that can that make the playoffs. It's not eliminated from the national title yet. If Cincinnati loses, they're almost certainly going to make the playoff. I think they'll jump. I think they'll jump Oklahoma State, no problem. I mean, again, not unprecedented for Brian Kelly. You wonder what he he saw if Notre Dame wasn't willing to match the offer that LSU gave him. No, I th- I think it's very clear. I I. I I doubt it's a money issue because I think Notre Dame would pay him whatever they want. He's He's got young assistants there. He's elevated the recruiting profile of that program considerably in a couple of years, even for Notre Dame, which is saying something. The point where they're no. roughly on par with where LSU is now. What this, what this says to me is I want to win a title and I need to be able to cheat to do it. That's what he's saying by taking a job in the SEC in today's day and age. Is that he's saying, I want no holds barred with recruiting. I need to be able to cheat without any without the thought of consequences from the school. 
That's what he's saying by taking the LSU job. Illinois basketball was going to make Orlando Antigua the highest paid assistant in the country. You would have been dumb not to. You would never get in trouble for the obvious cheating he did on behalf of your school. Yep. And he instead turned that down to go to Kentucky because less rules. (laughs) There you have it. Makes your job easier. So yeah, that's 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 the why. Because yes, uh, a Massachusetts man who I, I mean. I said to you, mostly in jest, but partially not. Like, who's to say he survived summer practice? He could easily heat stroke out before they even get to the first game next year. Uh, this is not a man built for the, for the tropical climate. Not to mention, as we've, as we've said repeatedly, LSU and Auburn are in, in open competition to see who is the horniest to fire their coach. And I'd be willing to bet that it will take not even one game before the first fire Brian Kelly post goes up online from an LSU fan. The first unironic one. Yeah, we'll see it. As we sit here today, I don't think I've seen anything on whether his coordinators are following him. That would be OC Tommy Reese and, more importantly, the very well-regarded defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. He's been on my watch list for a long time. You know, I'm always... He's, no, he's one of those coordinators tracking. where it's like he's not taking whatever group of five job comes up to him first. That's going to be... I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a Brent Venables because he has waited way longer than I thought he would, but... I'm struggling to think of a good example here, but you know, there, there uh, he was a guy that I wanted that, that I may have wanted to see how he develops as like, hey, maybe this guy is a head coach, right for for an Illinois. He's not taking an Illinois job though. That's my point. Yeah. Um, frankly, Michigan State was open. I don't know if he says yes to us. I mean, his head coach at Cincinnati said no. Um, I would like to think we could get a coach with no head coaching experience at all, but who's to say, but in that any case, being said, you got, no, I, I think he's, he's a guy. I mean, he's very young. Um, that being said, um, Jacksonville may be looking for a new head coach soon because remember the one place where urban Meyer always wanted protection to go to was Notre Dame. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, um, yeah, I did see some, some hand wringing about, you know, we don't want this noted scumbag here. Well, look, if you look at the body count to national titles ratio, uh, Urban Meyer feels like a saint for Notre Dame. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. It kind of feels like, <laughs> frankly, the window for that to happen would have been earlier this season. Yeah. That, that things have settled down for Meyer. They've won a few games. There's signs they're improving at a pretty steady pace. Your generational quarterback talent still has nothing on what Gardner Minshew did there two years ago. But I digress. <laughs> well... I think the the talent around him also degraded considerably, but anyway, he the the whole Urban's not cut out for this. He's going to bomb out of the NFL inside of a year thing. It's been like a month since we heard even a whisper of that kind of talk, and there have been like he was never mentioned for the USC job, and that was another one that we thought he might come back to college for. And Notre Dame though was the one that he I, very specifically I know, did because well, because he because he's from Toledo area basically, yeah. so. I guess we'll see. As we sit here Wednesday night, Oklahoma and Notre Dame are the clear top-of-the-heap jobs. There have been other vacancies that have filled in. A couple of these we would have mentioned last week. Florida replacing Dan Mullen with Billy Napier from Louisiana. Um, Virginia Tech replacing Justin Fuente with Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry. He's been very good for James Franklin for a long time. And the word is that Pry is going to try to drag some of those other defensive assistants along with him. So Franklin might have a good deal of staff shuffle to deal with. But honestly, it kind of feels like that was due. (laughs) Unfortunately, where it feels like it was due was not on the defensive side of the ball. And on the offensive side, they've moved through a number of coordinators over the last few years. So what they could have used there was stability. 
But anyway. Um, Kalen DeBoer is going to Washington and taking Jake Hayner with him. Is this kind of an, an expectation now where if you're a group of five coach, you're also expected to take like your star skill players with you when you leave? If if yeah, if not more than that. I mean, we saw this when Lance Leipold went from Buffalo to Kansas, took a number of players and did material harm to what was the best team in the MAC by taking a handful of some of their more important players along. You know, you'd obviously hope to take at least the whole staff with. Um, yeah, I mean, again, now that there's free player movement, if players go to a school to play for a coach and the coach leaves, now that the players can leave too without penalty, why wouldn't a half, yeah. you know, five, ten of your closest to you, most important players come with you? And yeah, I mean, that's it's even worse for the school that's losing them, but it's more motivation to these schools to find ways to pay these coaches. It's a bigger problem for the group of five because they can't. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of... <laughs> Every every new move, regardless of who it benefits and who it hurts in the small picture, the bigger picture is halves are going uphill and have-nots are going downhill. Uh, yep. Why would it be in, any different in the, in from larger society? In the sports that we yeah. like to watch to escape the ills of our society, you're not supposed to be in there. She's very sad that I took away her extremely loud honking snake. Having just finished the Skyrim NPCs power poll, all I can think of is she's, she's currently in her sister's crate. And I'm thinking, you're not supposed to be in here. <laughs> you're not supposed to be in here. Well, she's crouching right now, so you shouldn't even be able to see her. Uh. <laughs> I thought I heard something. Must be nothing. Must be my imagination. Uh, so that's going to be the interesting thing to watch is can Cincinnati hold on to their head coach this time well long term probably not and that is amongst the Notre Dame sources that I slithered through and you know bathed in a little bit of schadenfreude because boy were they angry um although <laughs> we'd, we'd be remiss but should be pointed out no, I, I, guess I mean I'm pretty sure it. that Cincinnati was pretty angry when this happened to them 12 years ago in fact I know there were uh google google Marshawn Gilliard's words about his head coach um, I, I feel like Cincinnati would declare open war on Notre Dame if this happened to them again. Understandably so. And that, honestly, that's why I was like, you know, when the rumor last a couple years ago was that Michigan State was hiring Luke Fickle, I'm like, do we really have to do that to them again? Like, yeah. I guess if you're a group of five program, it's just, it just kind of comes with the it territory. It feels like Cincinnati is the best positioned out of any of them, save maybe UCF. Um, but yeah, that that's the question. Can they, in fact, survive intact as a program? They're moving to the Big 12, just as the Big 12's biggest media cows move away. It's kind of like how Boise State kept trying to jump to whatever conference TCU was in, and then TCU (laughs) went, no, get away from your gross. Uh, So, yeah, as you mentioned, Luke Frickle, I think most people would view as the top candidate. Uh, Frankly, a lot of the jobs, it's if Oklahoma or Notre Dame don't land him, I don't think he's leaving. Yeah. Um, Because there aren't enough other jobs of high enough quality. Not to say that there aren't other jobs open. Literally, unless Ohio State opens up. We mentioned that for whatever reason, Duke decided that this was a good time for a, I'll throw some heavy air quotes here, mutual parting with David Cutcliffe. Where it's like, what do you expect to do better as Duke football? You know what the problem there is? Dave Clawson's right down the road at Wake Forest doing incredible yep. things. Yeah, because and people are realizing you actually can. Yeah, if do you're the, good, it doesn't have to yeah. be this way. Yeah, that's true. 
So that's the that's Wake the thing. Forest is historically the biggest afterthought in the history of the Their ACC. total enrollment's like three thousand people or something. Yeah. I don't think I'm, a, I'm I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but probably not by much. No, a a complete football afterthought. I respect the shit out of you, Wake Forest fans. Don't ever let me. Don't ever let yourself think otherwise. But historically speaking, all I remember about Wake Forest football is that they won the ACC in 2006, and it was world-shattering. <laughs> yeah. And and so because Clawson is right down the road doing that at a, at the small, what has to be the lowest resource school in all Power Five, right? I mean, I guess I could think about maybe... You also think about stuff. competition in-state. I mean, they've got three conference rivals in-state. Yeah, and so in terms of recruiting grounds, like, the, the earth is plowed. Good luck finding local prospects, but... In any case, so that's another job that's open. You talk about available candidates. There's Fickle. There's Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. You could talk about Trailer from UTSA, but he's only been there for two years, and yeah, like all of his all of his coaching tenure before that has been in the state of Texas. Temple is is open if you're looking to move from like Temple, maybe a place that that Trailer would go if he did if he wanted to leave Texas. It would be following the Matt Rule sort of career arc, yeah, getting out to a job with access to some interesting talent on the East Coast. It's not like there's exactly a local power to speak of. Matt Rule is one of the latest rumored candidates for Oklahoma. That'd be so weird. The Panthers, the Panthers gave him so much money. Yeah, and it's so it's a little strange, right? Because earlier this season, the Panthers looked like they were coming together. And then Darnold kind of turned back into his actual self. Hey, and, then he got, and then he got hurt. And now their offense doesn't really work anymore. Uh, frankly, the name that has sort of vanished off of the radar, I think because of all that, is Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. Well, that's what, that's, the rumor is that there's a package deal. It's going to be Matt Rule and Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. The question is, do they also get the rest of the 2019 LSU offense? Yeah, I, I don't know. Because I don't that. think I'd take that without Justin Jefferson and Jamar, and Jamar Chase. Chase and Clyde Edwards Hilaire <laughs> and, and the offensive and jo- line. And Joe Burrow. Uh, so, <laughs> although, you know, to be fair, it, even if Riley takes quite a bit of the talent with him, it's not like nobody's going to want to play at Oklahoma with them coming to the yeah. SEC. So. Well, I, I'm very curious to see, what they, to see what they do because it seemed like like whatever Lincoln Riley did hurt Bob Stoops so much that he decided to just be the full-time coach right now. Until they name a successor. Which was very strange. Because he went from studio job, right? With Fox yeah. or CBS or something. To, I'm going back to coaching an extremely stressful job right and now. And he's not as old as you think he is. But I feel like he'd be very involved in the in the coaching search. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's got to be half the reason he went back. Now, of course, Josh Heupel is at Tennessee. Former How national championship-winning quarterback. How many times? With Bob Stoops, a former I, offensive coordinator for the Bob Stoops. And look, in in year one, those results look pretty promising too. It's not, and he's got the track record from a good run at Central Florida. It's not. It wouldn't be the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, if if anything, I think you're maybe a little bit leery because you're like, well, the last guy who had a good track record at Central Florida and went to his alma mater uh, is the guy right above us as we sit here in Oklahoma. Well, not right above, but relatively speaking. Well, I mean, what's in Kansas for football anyway? Um, oh, oh, Skylar Thompson, that enormous obstacle to Oklahoma. <laughs> That's right. He's somehow still eligible. The, the massive Lego to Oklahoma's playoff hopes. Yeah, to the to the barefoot in the dark of Oklahoma's playoff hopes. So, all right, so anyway. either way, there's going to be butthurt 
I, there's going to be more butthurt yet to come. There's already so much. Mm. I mean, look at TCU poached uh, Sonny Dykes from SMU after he <laughs> beat them in a rivalry game. Yeah, in a rivalry. Granted, it's a non-conference rivalry game now, but they're going to continue to play every year, are they not? So Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be so good. I, I mean, honestly, yeah. SMU, I don't think has... Or no, did they... Somebody hired Sonny Cumbie, the interim right Yeah, that was now. Louisiana Kansas, Tech. That was Louisiana Tech. So I think TC, or, uh, SMU is still open. I believe Louisiana is still open. And then you've got Duke. And of course, as Oklahoma and Notre Dame fill their spots, those are likely to kick open other doors. So again, carousel is yet to really come to a conclusion. But we spent about enough time on it, I think, unless there's anything else to cover. We'll kind of... Now that we've... You know, the funny thing is, between... Kind of like the conference championships and the playoff taking shit. They're like all the games that actually happened last week, with basically with the exception of Ohio State, Michigan, very quickly fell by the wayside. Nobody gives a shit about those two days later. I still extremely give a shit, but only because my team laid a rare ass kicking on a conference opponent. I was just going through this the other day, just seemed like it was the last time he had a wire to wire, no doubt ass kicking. It was against Purdue in 2015. When was the last time we had that happen to us? Oh, like. The entire last five years. <laughs> so, so around the country, you know, to go in chronological order, um, Thanksgiving, the Egg Bowl, uh, sure sucks to be heavily invested in from a JMC perspective. Because <laughs> fuck me. It yeah, we yeah. thought that one was going to clear the over pretty pretty handily. It, 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 ended, it ended with Lane Kiffin calling a timeout before a Washington State untimed down in a 10-point game. Mississippi State, but yeah, yeah. right. Um, what a what a bizarre set of circumstances. I had long since turned it off in disgust when they, I think, I don't remember who it was, but one of the teams attempted what was the fifth combined field goal attempt in the first half between those two offenses. I was like, <laughs> and I turned off the TV. So and everyone else at the Thanksgiving dinner was very confused about why I was so invested in that game. Uh, but like I said, it, it's been one of those seasons and Evidently, this was the. I, I must have in a in a fugue state one night made some sort of agreement with with an old Roma woman or or perhaps a traveling merchant, serving as the guise uh, of of some minor demon or something, and such that to restore Michigan State's fortunes on the field, I had to give something up. And, you're trying not to say Daedric Prince because you're thinking about Skyrim, aren't you? Right, and I'm trying like. <laughs> I have to think anyone that people probably had enough of that after the part, but yeah, I, I like I, at some point I, I plainly made a deal with Molag Ball or something to get Michigan State back to prominence, and to do that, I had to give something up. And apparently, it was just everything I touch in fantasy turns to ash. It's it's truly been remarkable this year. Uh, LSU, like 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 an obnoxious number of five win teams for a team that really needed some help to go to a bowl at five and seven. Uh, LSU pulled off a win over Texas A&M to send off Ed Orgeron in style, if you will. What passes for style when you're six and six? Yeah, I mean Texas A&M was. He's going to get one more game. Why well, he's not coaching it though? Oh, I, he's not? I think it was. He's like, oh, I'm going to bowl game. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe his actual line was, "I'm going to be in Destin." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Destin. So no, he's he's not coaching, but yeah. It, He's a guy who I have no problem believing was still beloved by the roster there. It's not like they don't have the talent to rise up and be a team like Texas A&M at any given time. Uh, so I'm 
I'm not sure if Brian Kelly is going to coach the bowl game or if they're going to use an interim or, or what. But it, it'd have to be an interim. Yeah. So it's unprecedented. We saw Texas San Antonio's undefeated season bafflingly come to an end at the hands of North Texas. Like, yeah, like pretty they, serious wire wire they, they, they were beaten badly, yeah. That would, I didn't see any of that game. Gave up so. 45 points and, uh, I mean, just trailed by like three scores throughout. In the various other outcomes, there was one statistical oddity that caught my attention. Uh, Virginia Tech got right back to beating Virginia, and the, the difference in the passing lines here was just astounding. Uh, Braxton Burmeister, the Virginia Tech quarterback, goes 6-for-14 for for 141 yards, and they win, while Bryce Armstrong, in a loss, throws for 400 yards on 30 out of 46 attempts. Like, you you never see a team throw for 250 more yards than an opponent in a loss very often. Like, it doesn't happen that much. In a loss, you see it happen a lot, actually. By 250 yards? I guess I'm thinking about Big 12 games from the past. <laughs> the time well, that, but the thing is, both the, the, both the, the winning dudes, team, yeah, the winning team would throw for 500 yards too, though. <laughs> so. Well, see, both of the dudes who have ever thrown for NCAA record 734 yards did so in losses. Yeah, I know. That's a very important statistic. <laughs> uh, so, let's pivot to the near future. In case... You've made it halfway through this with no idea who we are and want to figure out how to block these assholes on Twitter. You can't block Andrew on Twitter, Andrew Krzyzewski, because he's not there. But I'm Steve Braun, and my handle is Thumpasaurus, but it's got a one at the end of it. So, you know, good luck. We're going to find our our hot takes are going to find their way to you some way or the other. Um, let's start right out with a win fight tribe rooster of the week for the Big Ten Championship game. This is Grand Armory Brewing in Grand Haven, Michigan on the west side of the state. Is Crop Duster Citra IPA because every time I see a commercial depicting this matchup, I feel like I walk through a fart, a very very dense fart. We also just, I mean, the the way that Kelly and Riley left their respective jobs is not unlike crop dusting in an elevator full of people you've just promised to take care of for five years during their college careers. Yeah, I mean, especially. Riley seems to have been more one of those stealth ones because at the time I didn't think anything of it, and then a few days later I'm like. Oh, oh God, that reeks. Oh my God, dude. That's not getting any play in Ashley, by the way. Everyone's tearing Kelly a new one, deservedly so. For doing exactly what everybody knew he was going to do if he ever left. Yeah, and, well, right, because he did exactly the same thing at Cincinnati, and it's like, by the time you get to his age, people don't change. Oh, but Notre Dame is a special child, not like Cincinnati. Cincinnati deserved to be treated that way because they weren't as special as Notre Dame. Is that what I'm to get from this? I, basically, that's, that's basically the stance people are well, taking when they're also, surprised Brian Kelly would do this. No, and the and the other thing is, everyone's gonna say, "Well, Notre Dame's alive for the playoff." Well, if you go back to when he left Cincinnati, they were about to play in the biggest game in school history. Yeah, that they point. were twelve and zero. They were making the Sugar Bowl that year, which yeah. for Cincinnati at that time is a huge accomplishment. So it's very much the same thing. Just you know, yeah, but the national later. title is literally the only thing that matters. That's why nobody watched the ACC this year after Clemson lost two games. Y'all missed out on one of the wackiest conference seasons I've seen because, ooh, you know, it doesn't really have any playoff implications, does it? That's why y'all don't watch the MAC. That's why y'all miss out on the most fun things about this sport. That's why nobody outside of our listenership knows who Lou Nichols is. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, leading rusher in the nation. The best running back you've never heard of. We've watched probably five of his games this year. Yeah, and it's just a shame because there's so much fun in this sport. And all the national media is designed to funnel you away from the most fun storylines towards the college football playoff, 
which of the five to six branded teams? Because it was it was the fact that Clemson lost two games, but the teams that rose up to take their place weren't Florida State or Miami. They were instead Wake Forest and Pitt. Yeah, that's why nobody talked about the ACC. Um, I've watched so much ACC this year. <laughs> so before we get there, we'll mention, by the way, that as far as the schedule goes, the ACC and Big Ten title games are on at the same time. And I have to be honest with you, gentle listeners, I know what I'm going to watch. And it's yeah. not our game. Not our game. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'll keep one eye on the score. And if things look like they're getting interesting. But no, you know what's going to be is Michigan 14, Iowa 3, zero seconds left in the third quarter. Like that's what it's gonna be. No, I'm seeing more of a more of a ten to three where it's like Iowa could tie it with a with a freak touchdown at any time. And then like twenty game minutes later the score is the same. And it's like something could happen to break this game wide open and then it never does. Or not, not even to break this game wide open. It's just something could happen at any moment. But and then it, it never does. <laughs> and it never does. That being said, I mean Iowa is a hell of a team to play after you know, just a cathartic and emotional win uh, because we haven't seen them in necessarily peak form and they are a team that just... Are you talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes right now? Yeah. Yes, I am. Well, I mean, this is getting all a little bit too exciting. What I'm trying to say is that Iowa is a team that never gets too high, never gets too low, it's just very steady the whole way. Now, we don't know that they can't play better than this because they haven't needed to, except the couple of times when they needed to and chose not to. But that was simply them choosing some humility. You want to get home and get to bed on time. I think the country, especially when we're talking about those two coaches leaving, could learn a lot from Iowa. In, in, in the humility of losing two games when you probably could have played better on offense. And the great thing about Iowa is that they've taken the quarterback out of the game. Uh, quarterback performance simply means nothing. If our quarterback is having a terrible day, that just means it's Saturday and got a pretty good chance to win anyway. We're going to be and we're going to know we're in trouble if he starts lacing him in there, goes seven for seven on the opening drive like some kind of some kind of Mike Leach air raid wizard from the future, a.k.a. the late 90s. But still, I think Michigan's feeling awfully high and mighty, but that's not the kind of mindset that will get you closer to God. It is worth noting that Michigan has handled success pretty well this season. With the exception of the Rutgers game, there really hasn't been a time when they've looked ahead of the opponent in front of them. And I have to think now that they have the first chance, the chance to win their first title since the John Kerry campaign was going on, that they're not going to be looking ahead to any potential playoff matchup because you you don't, first of all, it's helpful that going into the playoff, you don't know what your matchup is going to be because the outcome of all the other games that are still yet to be decided will change that even if you win. So well, it's Michigan, it's, it's what we, what we talked about over the course of the season that Nick Saban quote about how, how you can really get your best game out of your guys. Like once, mm-hmm. once a season. And they just, they just got one of theirs against Ohio state. No question. And I, you know, I'm not saying that, because I, I think they're going to beat Iowa, but 
I just refuse to believe that they have a substantially better game than the Ohio State game. No, because, that, was, that was the most you're going to see. Yeah, they just executed so well, completely dominated in, in, you know, in, in all phases, especially against a, a defense that is, is not as bad as they were made to look. But that, that being said, I still don't see what the path for Iowa is here. And here's the first thing, which is that last week when we described the path to victory for Michigan, what seemed like a, a very difficult hill to climb for them. It's something that they kind of had to execute perfectly. Yeah, we, the, one of the first things that we said was, you have to get pressure on Stroud using your defensive line, which is very doable. And when that's been done, Stroud's you know, looked a little bit more mortal. What I did not think was going to happen was that Michigan's front would be as up to the task against the run as they were. I mean, they kicked out Ohio State's offensive line up and down the field. Iowa's offensive line is not as good. They have one All-American at center, that's Tyrell Linderbaum. The rest of those guys are not up to Iowa's usual standard on the line. So given what we just saw from Michigan's front, both against the pass and the run, I mean, shoot. You mean to tell me that Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo can't do 80% of what they did against Ohio State against a much worse line in Iowa? I think they can. Because the thing is, Iowa's offense is just terrible. It is. It's really bad. It's not good at... Like, I don't mean <laughs> terrible for, you know, a conference championship opponent. I mean, it's it's bad. Like, it's actually bad. I didn't think to grab, like, any of the S&P Plus numbers or anything, but I believe... In the bottom been, half of the country. Yeah, they, they've been... I thought they were, like, sub-90 most of the year. Yeah. In total offense, in, um, in scoring. So... If you want to describe, so there there are lots of ways to think about this. When you talk about paths to victory, you can describe in sort of vague X's and O's terms, or you can sometimes an exercise I like to do is well, what kind of score, what kind of final result on the scoreboard are we likely to see, and what does it have to be for one team to win versus the other? I think there are lots of different score combinations. First of all. Let's rule out anything on either side that starts with a four, most likely. Yeah. I don't if think it, that's going to happen. I mean, Michigan, a, could, Michigan could get there. If there's a four, I think it's because Michigan bulldozes Iowa. Yes. That could happen. I think it's probably one of the I think it's less, very unlikely. I think because Iowa's defense is a lot better than Ohio State's. Yeah. This is about a 10-point spread from what I've been seeing. I don't know if it's moved in the last day or two. But it opened at around a 10, 10.5-point spread. I think Michigan probably covers that by with a few points to spare. Something like a two-score Michigan win feels like the most likely outcome. Probably something in the upper 20s to something in the mid-teens. And there's certainly no, you know, you don't lose a game like this and you're okay with it as, as fan bases, but the kind of game that this would have to be for Michigan to lose would would have to be one of the worst games they've ever seen in their lives. Like, I think the path to victory for Iowa is get some big plays on defense and special teams, score with those, and run out the clock with your offense. Yeah. In other words, it's the kind of, like, that even if it was just a regular season game, in a season where maybe you've already lost three games, you, you just you just go nuts and just start throwing things off of your roof and whatever. I mean, that's the kind of game I think it would have to be for, for, for Michigan to lose. But that's not unheard of for Iowa to win that kind yeah, of game. I, I that's mean, the thing. We spent the first half of the season marveling about how Iowa bedazzles one opponent after another into playing dumb football on offense and throwing the ball into their zone defense. Like, it, it, it happens. Like, it was like like the, the Michigan State-Iowa championship game. I mean, obviously, Iowa fans were sore about it because, oh, these missed opportunities. But it was kind of like, oh, you just couldn't make that last play when it counted. Oh, damn, we're almost there. Now, I mean, if Michigan loses the kind of game that I think it would have to be for them to lose, it would be like, 
oh my god, absolutely everything yeah. possible went wrong. How did yeah. like you know like like where they outgained them like two to one in yards and lose by two scores? Yeah, and so have to be one of those. It our our Iowa colleagues do um, pose the question earlier today. He's like, huh. So where are Michigan State fans on this? Because honestly, from a bowl positioning thing, it's much better for us if Michigan wins. And I because that would most likely mean Iowa gets kicked down to the Citrus and Michigan gets or Michigan State gets a New Year's Six Bowl. Whereas if Iowa wins, they get the Rose Bowl. Ohio State and Michigan get the other New Year's Six Bowls the Big Ten has access to. We are most likely the fan base that ends up going to Orlando. Now for me, I hate both of these teams. <laughs> what I usually do in the situation where I hate both these teams, and I got no bowl positioning to gain, I'm an Illinois fan, uh, is I go with whoever's got the better record and more to lose, that's who I'm rooting against. So you're rooting against Michigan then? <laughs> Absolutely. And there's also, you know, I don't usually subscribe to the I want to see my conference succeed thing. But Fuck it would no. also be... Fuck no. <laughs> but there's currently no evidence that a team from the Big Ten West can actually win the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. Because it it's be, never happened. It would be interesting if for the first time since the divisions realigned if we had a West division champion. Um, Iowa came the closest of anybody. I know perfectly well that... Well, when, Wisconsin did come close. Against while, too. while this game is happening, I'm not going to want Michigan to win. I already know that. But it's not a thing where I'm like, oh man, uh, you know, Harbaugh's here, hype train's back. Like... By all means, get this hype train back running because you notice how the first time they had success was when everyone was like, wow, this guy needs to be fired right now. Like, when, As soon as we got to a media consensus that oh, this probably isn't going to work, that was when Harbaugh actually proved that he could still coach. So I need to get this hype train back rolling and up to full steam as soon as we possibly can so they can fall flat on their face for the next decade. Dude, is, 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 is Jim, did Jim Harbaugh at some point become uh, Peter Gibbons from Office Space? You work just hard enough not just to get hard fired. enough not to get fired. I'll tell you what, that boy, that that suddenly makes him very relatable. Oh man, uh, I, I I kind of I feel like I'm in a little bit of danger of getting fired. I'm gonna okay, time to like really really turn it on for a bit here. All right, that bought me some time. Cruise yeah. control. Yeah, but anyway, so like I said, as far as results on the field goes, I expect Michigan to win. Yeah, there are scenarios that are not impossible to envision where Iowa pulls it off, but. It's going to take either a defensive or a special team score, I think. And again, Iowa's had plenty of that this year. There's there's no selling that they couldn't get a pick six. Well, Michigan also has very good special teams. Yes, and so that's where I think one thing where Iowa can normally kind of be like, oh, we're going to get some points out of that, right? I wouldn't expect a return touchdown, and Michigan's got dangerous return guys of their own. Michigan also has the only kicker who's arguably better than Caleb Shudak in the conference in Jake Moody, so that special teams is a push, and that's a problem for Iowa because they have an advantage on that in that dimension of the game basically every week, but not this week. Yep, so moving around to the rest of the country's championship game, Friday night, uh, the Pac-12, what do you think? Oregon, Utah? Just give me a winner. So I'm going with Utah. They played two weeks ago, and Utah ran them. There was nothing I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of projections of Oregon going to the Rose Bowl like they're gonna win this game no problem. Like people forgot that they just played and Utah housed them. 
yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see any reason that it would be different. That being said, there's no reason to watch this game at all because you would miss the Conference USA Championship game between our Western Kentucky Hilltoppers and our UTSA Roadrunners. Now, these two teams played in the regular season, and the final score was 52-46. to 46. There Yeehaw! were 11 Pow! passing Pow! touchdowns. <laughs> There were about 1,200 yards of offense. Unless you think that, oh, Pac-12, Oregon, they're exciting, they're fun. No, 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 no. You're thinking of Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, Oregon, that spread it out and ran the ball 80 times a game, up-tempo, all that. That is not Mario Cristobal, Oregon, which is basically just a carbon copy of 2009 Alabama's offense. So, you know, of course, what, you know, what ESPN wants you, is going to want you to do, or whoever the hell owns the rights to this, is understand that, no, 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 this is important. It's important because Oregon is highly ranked, and this determines a Rose Bowl. This is important, you'll say, but this as is why you they force yourself they... to stare at, like, a 21-10 to 10 final here instead of just watching fun football. Is the point of this sport not to have fun? Yeah. Watch when... the CUSA championship game. And this, this constant pushing of the playoff thing has actually harmed the value of some of these games because... If you're ESPN, you've been at demanding to know all year, every broadcast, what is the relevance of this game to the playoff? And if there's none, let's talk about the playoff. There's no relevance to the playoff in either of these games. Definitely no not relevance the Pac-12 to, game. Neither of those teams is going. There is, for whatever reason, no relevance to national awards, even though Bailey Zappi is the nation's leading passer. Yeah. Now, yes, it's right. system friendly, but still. Well, sure. It helps when they throw the ball 60 times a game. It does. No, there, there is there is no game I want to watch this weekend more than that one. Yeah, tune in to that. I will not be watching it because I will be watching Illa Nutgers play basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's you'll have a pretty good excuse then at least. But if, if you're choosing between these two games, if you're home on Friday night, pass on the boring-ass Pac-12, watch Frank Harris versus Bailey Zappi. I really need to see if I can get somebody in the... In the you know, the AV crew to just 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 project that up on the dome ceiling during the. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna during, have to... during the TV timeouts, maybe. Okay, I was gonna say you need to have to bring a substantial cash bribe to make that happen. <laughs> during the TV timeouts, maybe. I mean, I'll probably see more scoring in the Western Kentucky UTSA game than in Illinois Rutgers. God, so yeah. Saturday, noon big slate. nude, big nude, Big Twelve championship game. Could feature a first-time playoff team if Oklahoma State wins. That could be a little bit interesting, but the thing is, you've got that and Baylor, two defensively-oriented teams. Not really, not what you're going to think of when you think of Big 12 championship. So Oklahoma State is just on the outside looking in where we're going to have to try to justify an Alabama that may not have won its conference title game. That means that the system is about to change, right? Yeah, this is, I, I think, <laughs> more so than in any previous year, the way they've organized the standings this year tells me they're going to make the they're they're teeing up the media drumbeat for an eight or twelve team field. That's all. All the only question now is: is it eight or twelve teams? Do you get campus home games or not? You know, it's up to you whether or not you really want to care about all this playoff stuff. It's kind of kind of like what I did with the NASCAR championship game or the NASCAR championship format, where it's like, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Because you had Kevin Harvick with a historically dominant season, and then we had to pretend that Chase Elliott was the best because he won the last race of the year. Yeah, I just decided, all right, I'm just going to watch races that I care about, and then I really only care about the winner of that race. And, hey, I know who was the best all season. 
I know who I cared about the most all season, and more importantly, all I did was have fun. I didn't have to think about all that shit. Yeah, that's why we're here shouting at you to watch the Conference USA game. The outcome of that game doesn't matter to the championship picture, but it's two really fun teams to watch. And speaking of, we'll go into the Saturday afternoon slate. The most afternoon! Crowded, the, the most crowded by far. We would recommend either the Sun Belt or the American Championship. Sun Belt, you have Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State. American is going to be Cincinnati at Houston. And yes, okay, Cincinnati is relevant to the playoff picture, but they're a really good team. Houston's a really good team. And Both they play, have very good defenses for yeah. that level. Yeah. Um, if, no, but Clayton Toon is a very experienced quarterback, as is Desmond Ritter. They've got experienced, you know, very kind of mistake-free styles of play in their quarterbacks, and they've yeah. got very good defenses. And so... If you do like a good defensive struggle, you don't have to strap yourself to the Alabama-Georgia game. Yeah. You got Cincinnati-Houston. Yeah. The best thing about that is that when you read out Cincinnati and Houston and you got those logo, then it's, Cuh? Cuh, you watching watching an American game, Cuh? Yeah. And this is why, again, if if you're interested in the SEC championship game, the problem is... You don't get to just watch a game between two really good teams because all they're going to talk about is... What does this mean? Does the loser still get to go to the playoff? And it's like, don't you care who wins this game? This is a conference title game. Remember when the conference championship used to matter? Especially the SEC championship game. That's been a great game for 25, 30 years. Well, it stopped mattering in 2017. Right, I get... No, in 2011, it stopped mattering. Because LSU won it. And I, I still argue to this day that even though LSU lost the rematch to Alabama... Their resume is substantially more impressive, and the AP should have voted them number one. They beat, they beat like three BCS teams that year, or what would have been BCS teams? Like yeah. they beat, they beat Rose Bowl champion Oregon on the road. Yeah. Um, Point is, conference so, championships matter in most contexts, and to most people, to most fans of this sport, they matter because that's that's realistically what most of your teams are going to be able to accomplish Make so, your own choices in the night slate we mentioned this is you've got an eight o'clock kickoff on fox for the big 10 championship game if your team's going i understand you watching it if it's not i don't know why you'd pay attention to this when the acc title games at the same time especially you if could, you're a purdue fan i mean purdue fans what are you doing watching the big 10 title game you're, you're you're more spiritually like you're more spiritually in the acc right now yeah and you've got you've got wake pit um, you've got Sam Hartman, Kenny Pickett, who really should be a Heisman finalist. We'll see if he ends up getting it. Jordan Addison, one of the top receivers in the country that ended up being the top yeah. fantasy scorer among receivers. There's fantastic players in this game. It should be a great deal more entertaining. That's what we would recommend. And then, in what low-key might be the sicko game of the year, at 11 o'clock Eastern, Cal and USC will kick off for a makeup of a postponement both teams are four and seven, and they're playing this game starting at eleven o'clock Eastern after a full day of conference championship games. So, what this reminds me a bit is how, you know, we had those, we were supposed to have those one, you know, two v two, three v three, down to you know seven v seven games as undercards for the conference title game last yeah. year. Yeah. Until then, some teams that had to cancel the rivalry games were like, oh, but can we do this other thing? And they're like, sure. And then some other teams were like, oh, we got uh, some COVID. We don't feel like it. And in the end of that... Oh, I'll play Ohio State. It's scary. And at the end of it, like, we still ended up with Illinois going to Penn State. <laughs> to where, like, Penn State was like, yeah, this is fun. We're going to play another game. And Illinois was like, why do we have to do this? Well, what's, what's the point of this? We gave up 56 points. It's like, why, why, why did we have to do that? Except in this case, both, both teams, teams are Illinois. <laughs> 
both teams are Illinois. <laughs> Which is honestly why it's probably going to turn out to be the best game of the weekend. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why, why do we have to do this? <laughs> Your source for Big Ken Kong, it's off tackle, Empire!